Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to Women on Top podcast. It's Kristen. I'm going solo today again because Barbara is still on parent duty. Her kids are, they're on spring break from school. And so that takes priority. She'll be back next week. Everything will turn to return to normal. But in that, in the interim, I've mentioned on a few shows that I'm, I'm getting certified to coach survivors of trauma. It's a trauma recovery course, and we specifically focus on complex trauma and complex PTSD. And something that occurred to me, the further I get along in this course, the more I'm really learning about myself and about my own patterns. And not to pat myself on the back, but I've always felt like I was pretty self-aware, but now I'm really starting to see the origins of some of my own patterns when it came to dating. And since I have the dating advice background from writing the column for 10 years, and now that I'm hopefully going to be working with women who have suffered complex trauma or trauma, um, I was thinking that it would be interesting to do a series on how surviving complex trauma, uh, affects our our dating habits, our dating interactions, our interpersonal interactions. And the other reason why I wanted to do this is that uh, I'm not, uh, everything with my course, attending the classes and doing the homework and watching all the videos, and it, it's great. I, it, I'm, I, I feel very comfortable and confident with how much I'm processing and how much I'm learning. It's the reading I'm not doing so great with. I'm reading, but I don't feel like I'm really processing much of what I'm reading. So for me, and everybody has their own process, I think, when, they, when they're studying, I need, to, I need to implement it. So I need to learn how to do something, and then I need to do it for it to really stick in my mind. And so that's what, that was the other motivator for this, for this series, is I want to take the things that I read and I want to apply them to my, my life, my dating habits, my history of abuse, and uh, talk through them and talk through them with you so that maybe you can recognize certain patterns in your own life. And maybe you can learn a little bit about your own, you know, your, your own patterns when it comes to dating people and, and, and engaging in a relationship and interacting with people. So for today's class, and the thing is, today's class, this first one is going to be accessible to everybody, but because I'm going to get fairly personal, I am going to add the subsequent episodes to the Patreon. And uh, just because I'd feel more comfortable if I'm going to be that private, especially if I'm discussing my personal life now and you know my, my childhood and things like that. You know, I did the whole talking about your personal life thing for a very long time, and I've learned to self-edit, but I feel like something like this requires a bit more transparency, a bit more vulnerability, and uh, I guess I want to be paid for it. 
<laughs> so with that in mind, I want to start with a, um, a, a topic that I, w- when we first had started addressing it in, in class, all the bells and whistles went off in my head. You know, I mentioned to Barbara a few weeks ago about a woman, a writer that I know, who 90% of her portfolio, and I'm not exaggerating, is centers around her sexual abuse as a child. And while talking to my instructor, I said, you know, what do you think of that? Like, do you feel that that's healthy? Because this woman's also uh, teaching women are teaching people how to write about their abuse and their trauma, which uh, I find that there is great uh, help. I, I think it's powerful to share our stories. I think it's important to share our stories, to normalize it, to educate people, and to and to unburden ourselves a bit. Uh, where I'm a little bit uneasy is when it's done over and over and over and over and over again, only because reliving it so much as I'm learning, you know, not every, everybody uses the, well, it's cathartic and it, and it's, it's healthy. And there, there, it is to a point, not every, uh, people in the psych psychiatric community, not, not everybody. It's not a universal thought that, writing about something over and over and over again is healthy. In fact, many people feel it's unhealthy. So I I want to address not the writing of it, but the, the desire that this person and many people, because if you followed anybody and anybody on these, especially if you follow like the, these sites like the Frisky or Exogene or, uh, what's the other? I don't know. There's a bunch of them. The cut, um, you know, intelligence, or you see people sort of writing about the same crap over and over and over and over and over again. And it's like they have that one story and they just tell it over and over and over again. And um, there's a there's a reason for that. And I've found that it's called um, it's called compulsive repetition or repetition compulsion. And it's not specific to writing, obviously. It's this uh, uncontrollable, not uncontrollable, it's, it's, it's a subconscious um, urge to repeat a pattern, to repeat something, something that uh, is ultimately that we know is going to be traumatic or, or, or for us. It... Uh, it, it's that's what repeti- repetition compulsion is. It's this need to repeat something, repeat a pattern over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why we do it, it it's different for everybody. But uh, for this series, I want to talk about me and the way I um, experience repetition compulsion. And it was, uh, you know, I've, and I'd, I'd done it. So with so many times, you know, it was with when hooking up with guys with girlfriends or going, you know, constantly going back to or reinitiating or reopening lines of communication with men that weren't just 
you know, bad to me, but just were, were abusive, psychologically abusive, emotionally abusive. And I knew they were abusive. I knew that they were bad for me. They were not safe for me. And yet I kept going back. And the more I research this repetition compulsion, the more I'm starting to think that my reason for doing it, because again, everybody's reason is different. My reason for doing it was because if we go back to my childhood of, you know, losing my mother, my mother got, was, was diagnosed with cancer when I was three and she progressed very, very quickly. And she didn't really, she didn't want me to see her sick. And I don't know if this was a vanity concern or if it was a concern where uh, she was afraid to get, to get too close to me because she knew she was leaving. Whatever it was, not having that, that caretaker, not having that figure created this, this deep void within me and, and made me feel like I didn't matter. You know, that, that I was just so insignificant. And then I had a father who, once my mother died, my father wasn't taught how to deal with emotion. My father was, and people have heard me expound on all the ways my, I feel my father was amazing and the way my father is my hero. But my father was limited in this one aspect where he just drama. (laughs) He wanted nothing to do with it because he didn't, because he didn't do it well. And that was something, you know, my father was somebody who worked and worked and worked at something and loved learning, which is why he became a teacher. And he loved um, taking on something new and learning it. But this was something that he failed at. And so I think that was why he never wanted to engage in it. He never wanted to, um, and get it. He never wanted to deal with the, with the emotions, which, you know, he had five daughters and they all lost their mother. And so that's not really, that's not an ideal, uh, stance when you, when you are dealing with children who have had a, suffered a profound loss, but also, you know, to be fair, he was suffering his own profound loss. Um, to, and I, I have always said like to the, to his dying day, I think there was, there was always that there was, he, he wouldn't even let us talk about her. He didn't even like talking about her. And I think it was just so painful. And again, this, this is part of, you know, his inability to deal with emotion. So to have a father who was so emotionally distant in that way and, Um, you know, when you did get upset, it was very much, come on, come on, you know, don't get like that. Let's go, you know, rub some dirt in it (laughs) and, you know, and let's keep going. So there was almost this shame attached to being sad and getting emotional and being hurt. And so I, I think when I would go for these men, what I was trying to do, I was trying to close the gap. I was trying to get it right so that that little voice in my head, that inner critic that all abuse survivors deal with on a regular basis, I was trying to, to be, be able to say to that, that little voice, 
you're wrong. See, you're wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm healthy. I'm okay. I'm worthy of love. I do matter. If I could get this person, this person that has made me climb mountains and, and, and scale skyscrapers and who has made me walk through fire to get their approval, if I can get that person, if I can get that person to choose me over their girlfriend, then I'm okay. And then that voice, that voice will go away. I can, I can bury that. And so I think that's why I continued to repeat this pattern. And the problem with that, obviously, <laughs> is that when you get involved with people who aren't safe, people who have no regard for your well-being, in this attempt to fill the void and close the gap and heal the wound, what you actually do is rip it back open and re-traumatize yourself. That's what happens. And that's why it's so unhealthy to constantly, constantly go back and, and do the same thing over and over and over again, whether it's engaging in a, a relationship with someone that, we, that has proven to be unsafe for us, or to continuously stay sort of stuck in this time where we're constantly replaying this over and over and over in our head and talking about it. Uh, excuse me. I had, a, I had some coffee before this. So, you know, a lot of times we all have that friend and we all, we, we've probably all done it where they just keep going for the same person over and over and over and over again. And you're kind of like, look <laughs> enough, you know, figure out why that is. Why do you keep going for these types of people? Why do you, you know, even when they show signs of being unavailable or when they show, show, just show signs of being an asshole, what it, it's, it's almost as if instead of the alarm bells going off, it's like <laughs> balloons and confetti <laughs> start falling from the ceiling for you because you see this, you see this, this challenge, you see this opportunity of this brass ring of if I can get that person. But, it, and it's also, you're staying in that, in that pattern because that's what you know. That's what's comfortable to you in this weird way. You know, in a dynamic where somebody is distant or withholding, you know that pattern, you know that, that relationship, that dynamic, and you feel safe with it on, in some way. And so that's another reason why you continue it is because the real stuff, the real, you know, the, the really becoming open and vulnerable and, and, and accessible uh, is, is terrifying. So, uh, you know, there was a, this was probably about, I don't know, maybe almost 10 years ago. There was a guy that I had repeatedly gone back to because the attention just meant so much to me. And it wasn't just attention. He would, I mean, pour it on so thick. And for somebody who grew up feeling so insignificant and like I didn't matter and who really just kind of, you know, I was very much by myself 99% of my, the time of my, my childhood, I was walking to school by myself at five years old. You know, to have somebody focus even a few minutes on me, 
I mean, the euphoria that I felt from that, from getting that attention, uh, it was just so intense. And then, and he would do this over and over again. He would shower me with attention and really, I would just become almost addicted to it. And then he'd, out of the blue, he'd cut it off. He was Lucy with the football and I was Charlie Brown. And every time I went to kick, he just yanked, he yanked that attention away. And the last time he did it, I had just learned that my, uh, my sister was dying at, at this point. And it was an exceptionally vulnerable time for me. And that's not really an excuse. But the last time he did it, I remember this, the pain, you know, everything had been great. Two months he spent emailing and, oh, you're so fabulous and you're so this and I can't wait to see you and da 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 And then he just cut it off one day, just one day out of the blue. And he would encourage me. He would encourage with these emails and, oh, can I write this for your site? And can I tell people, you know, and he was, he wrote a whole post for my site about how amazing our relationship was and how much he learned and da 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 And I was such a fool because I posted it and my friend, <laughs> I remember giving it to my friend Jessica and she's reading this. And at one point it said something like, inevitably when this ends, um, you know, we'll, we'll go off and we'll do our own thing and da 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 And she's reading this and she said, don't you dare post this. And I said, Why? she said, he's telling what he's saying to you is that he's, he's telling you he's going to end it. This is his way of doing it. And I said, no, that's, that's not. And sure enough, I posted it. And the next day he was, he gave me this long winded verbose email about, you know, if I thought of you, I certainly wouldn't contact you. And um, you know, we're, ne we're never going to be friends. And he truly believed that he was being kind when he said these things. And this is what I mean when you, we tend to put ourselves in situations with very, uh, very unsafe people when we repeat these patterns, trying to, trying to get it right. You know, we really put ourselves in a lot of emotional and, and, uh, and otherwise, but with this, we're focusing on emotional abuse. We really put ourselves in a very, very dangerous position because we're, we're dealing with people who have no concern for our well-being, for our feelings, mainly because they're toxic in their own ways. So when he ended it, I don't think I can aptly put into words the searing pain I felt in my, in my heart, in my gut, I'll just never, I, I mean, I'll, I, I doubled over reading this self-important, you know, um, manifesto that he wrote me. And I felt such an intense pain and I can see now why that was. And all my friends, you know, this was something where they were very, very concerned for me because this was one of those, I can't stop talking about it things. And we, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do it again. We're Carrie. Is out with <laughs> out with the girls after the first time she breaks up with Big and they're all just kind of sitting there, eyes glazed over. Well, she goes on about Big and they're like, honey, I love you, <laughs> but you need to talk to a shrink. That's where I was, you know, and again, even that, like the constant thought of it, thinking, 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 
it's the repetition compulsion. Like if I could finally just figure this out and work it out and, you know, come up with a solution as to why this happened, then the pain will go away. You know, that's why I just kept thinking about it and, and talking about it. And even my friends, you know, when they even saw me go there, they'd like pull back. Not because they didn't want to hear it, not because they didn't want to help me, because they thought this is really unhealthy for you. And I couldn't see it. Now I see it. But at the time, I was just so immersed in the in it that I couldn't see it. And I, you know, I was repeating it and talking about it and thinking about it obsessively and and playing it over and over and over and analyzing it in my head to make sense of it, to try and convince myself that um, you did nothing wrong. This wasn't him rejecting you personally. That's, that's not it. You know, he, you know, he still, uh, he still pays a great deal of attention to you. And sadly he, he does pay it till this day. He pays a great deal of attention to what I write and what I say online. And that's what he was doing at the time. And I got so caught up in that and, and, and I, that I couldn't let it go. I, I got so engrossed in it. And well, why is he doing this? And why is he doing that? And well, why won't he go away? And why won't he leave me alone? And there's got to be something more. And just endlessly replaying it over and over and over again. And I was trying to get it right. I was trying to find something where I could go, see, 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 it, it, it's not about me. He still really, he does like me. That, that That's not it. It's, it's, you know, he, he still, it's not that he was discarding me. He does like me. And it, it, I just could not, I couldn't get out of the loop. And it took years for me to get out of the loop and therapy to get out of the loop. And that loop is where we just re-traumatize ourselves and we do more damage to ourselves. So that was, <laughs> that was a little bit more than I wanted to share. But today's lesson, <laughs> the word of today is repetition compulsion or compulsion repetition. And if you do some Googling, you'll find some great information. But I think it really could help people understand why they continue to go for the same type of person, why they find themselves in the same dynamic over and over and over again, why they can't stop talking about somebody. And, you know, this comes from, and this stems from, you know, a, a, a childhood full of neglect, a, a profound loss of a primary caretaker, and really not having either caretaker around. So I, 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 from a young age believed I, I, I just didn't matter. So those wounds never really healed. And so I would continue to repeat these patterns to, to finally heal the wound. And it took honestly something that I, like, I didn't know if I was ever, 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 ever going to feel good again after that experience. And it took years of introspection and therapy and just understanding more about me and about why I pursued the guys who weren't available, why I was safe with them. 
And uh, well, you know, I don't know if I'll, I, I don't know if I'll ever, I don't know if it's possible to ever truly be 100% healed for something, but I do feel like, I, I, I feel like that particular wound with that particular person and, and the source of that wound, I feel like, um, I feel like that one has scarred over. Um, and I think I, I've finally sort of awoken to why I did it and uh, why I never want to do it again. Why I never want to return to that, that kind of pain. So that was a little heavy for a Monday, but thank you very much for listening. I hope, I hope you guys can take something away from this. Uh, that's what I want this to be. We're going to be focusing on my history and my experiences. If you ever want to write in, if you ever want to maybe come on and maybe talk, I'd love to have you. But uh, I, I hope, I hope someone, I hope you can take something from this and 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 implement it in your own, in your own uh, life when you're whether it's to find friends or whether it's to find a romantic relationship, whatever it is. Um, you know, those of us who have suffered trauma, you know, whether it's assault or abuse or neglect, bullying, um, you know, trauma is anything that causes someone extreme distress. So it's sort of, it can differ from person to person, but it does, it can do real damage on our brains, uh, on our health and uh, on our relationships. So um, I hope there's something that you can take from it. I hope, you know, you can walk away maybe doing a little bit of introspection and, and maybe if you see, see yourself in anything that I'm talking about. Um, but please, when, if you do decide to be a little introspective and really think about it, be in a safe space, you know, be in a good place, you know, don't, uh, if you, if you know you're feeling vulnerable, just put it away. Don't wait until you're in the right, uh, you're, you're in the right frame of mind to really address it and really look into it. Um, and I guess, uh, I guess that's it for now. Thank you for listening. I feel a little bit better, not a little bit better. I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better because, um, I, I really like the idea of helping you guys if any, any abuse survivors and not just abuse survivors or trauma survivors, but women who just, maybe haven't found that person that they want or they don't have um, they don't have productive or successful interpersonal relationships, not just romantic ones. Uh, I just, uh, I want to help. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm getting sort of, I'm feeling like I'm getting my second chance here in terms of um, being healthy and having a healthy relationship. And, uh, I just uh, want to pass it on. So feel free to drop a line. If you get anything, if you liked this, if you didn't like this, drop a line through the site, women, women, uh, women on top podcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, women on top pod, follow us on Instagram, women on top podcast and future episodes will be on, on our Patreon. And you can find our Patreon on the navigation bar of our, uh, of our website. Guys, thank you so much for listening and I will be back again with another episode in a couple of days.